contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I go deep today on this whole NFL versus NBA and other sports contracts, how the NFL is deficient on the player side and what can be done to make that better. Really get into it on a Brand's Rants edition, but first, a word from Harry's, our sponsor, Harry's. What a great shave it is at a fair price. And that's why three million guys have switched to Harry's. These are two guys, Jeff and Andy. They were fed up with buying overpriced razors, as I'm sure you are, and they started Harry's to fix the problem. They bought their own German factory. They've got 100 years of blade-making experience to ensure their highest quality, and all products are backed by 100% quality guarantee. They offer their blades half the price of the leading five-blade razor. They sell direct to you over the Internet. There is no markup like these other things. Listen, I use it every day. Never have a cut. The aftershave smells great, not too fragrant, but very masculine. Love it. You can get this free trial from Harry's today. It's about a $13 value, and you get it for free. Just cover the $3 shipping. You'll get a weighted ergonomic razor handle. You'll get five precision-engineered blades with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the lathering shave gel that I talked about, travel blade cover. So you get it all. Start your free trial right now at harrys.com slash sports, all caps, S-P-O-R-T-S, right now. That's harrys.com slash sports harrys changing the game of shaving this topic that's been out there the nfl contracts versus nba and other sports in light of all these monster contracts coming out of the nba free agency it happens every year and every year at this time we get all the armchair business of sports quarterback commenting on different things which i'll address i thought i since this is right in my wheelhouse i talk about it all the time i write about it i teach about it i talk on tv and radio about it i think i'd I'd address it right here on the business of sports podcast in terms of these contracts for nfl players and what is wrong with them compared to major league baseball compared to the nba even the nhl and if there's anything that could be resolved with guarding that listen Here's the first thing I got to get out of the way, and I think it's relevant because I get asked this all the time about the union. I was asked by a couple different sources to run for the executive director position of the NFLPA last year, or actually it was a couple years ago. I thought about it. I talked to people about it. I decided against it. So I do want to get that out there. Full disclosure, I have been asked to run for that position chose not to in the past. As to the future, never say never, but my life is good. I'm enjoying it. All the different things I do, being around my kids, I've had a good life here these past few years. I don't know if I would upset that, but I do think the NFL players are underserved. And I have talked about this many times. There's a couple ways to look at it. Total values of the contract, I know people point to that all the time. You look at these NBA deals coming out, $100 million, $150 million, Steph Curry, $200 million, James Harden, $228 million. The numbers are staggering, and certainly NFL deals can't compare to that. But it's not even the total value that's really the difference, because just like every year in July, every year in March, we gawk, we rubberneck at these NFL free agent deals that are $70, $80, 90000000 million. The difference, of course is the two numbers are completely different because one is illusory, that's the NFL deal, and the other is real, that's NBA or Major League Baseball deals. Look at it this way. Derek Carr has a $125 million deal. 
similar deals to people like Gordon Hayward, 128 million, Drew Holiday, 126 million. Basically the same deal, but completely different. Amount guaranteed at signing. The, the, the day he signs the deal, the player gets X. Well, with Carr, it's 40 million. With these other guys, it's 125 plus million. That's a major difference there. The numbers are real. It's not illusory like it is in the NFL. Why is the NFL not have future guaranteed contracts? An excellent question, but let's get to that in a minute. The fact is they don't. The fact is you look at any contract, any business deal, any business transaction, forget about sports. What I look for is where's the allocation of risk? Where is the problem of risk for each side? With NFL deals past the early portion of the contract, one or two years, where risk is completely on the side of the team, it's low risk for the team. If you just sign a player, of course, you're expecting them to play at least one year for you. And, and then it becomes completely the risk of the player after one or two years, where the player takes on all the risk to be cut. These numbers are just numbers on a page. They don't mean anything. They're essentially one team options going forward. Look at a contract like a, a Colin Kaepernick a few years ago. You know, it was two years, 25 million. It was reported as six years, 100 and something million. And of course, Colin Kaepernick's contract was terminated. He actually negotiated a player option to get out, but that contract had no value beyond those two years. You know, a player like Tyron Smith, Dallas Cowboys, one of the best offensive linemen in the league, it's like a 10 year deal. Two years are guaranteed, $20 million. And then it's, just, it's eight one year options. I mean, that's not a contract. That's not an equal risk contract. That, In some ways, that's unconscionable in terms of level of risk, and this is for one of the better players in the league. That's what happens out there in football. The assumption of risk goes completely to the player, whereas with NBA and Major League Baseball deals, completely the opposite. The team is on the hook for the player's deal. No matter if the player has a downturn in performance, injury, future risk, all allocated towards the team. So there the balance of power shifts, especially even beyond basketball and baseball where you don't have a salary cap. You have a luxury tax, which has some governor restriction on spending. But again, there's no self-regulating spending like there is in other leagues. NFL owners have it the best. I worked for management for 10 years. I get it. We asked each other when we did our deals. Here's the question. When can we get out? And usually the answer was two years. So when you do a big deal with a free agent, you always sort of look around and say, okay, when can we get out? If the guy stinks, if performance goes down, if he has injury issues, when can we get out? It's such a different mentality. In fact, I remember dealing with a bank loan officer one time on a player we had just released. He's calling the player. player, of course, won't call him back. Try to get paid on a loan. The player's defaulted on the loan. He can't find the player, but even when he does... He calls me and he says, listen, I want to get to this player because I need that loan money back. I said, well, okay, what's going on? He said, well, I've got this contract here, so he should be good for it. And I'm looking at it. And for this year, looks like he's making $6.5 million. And I had to tell that poor bank loan officer, geez, I, I, I just think about it this moment. I'm so empathetic towards him. Sir, we released that player. That money was not guaranteed. There's no money due on that contract. And you could have heard a pin drop for about 12 seconds. He, it was his pregnant a pause. And I knew he was seeing his career flash before his eyes because he gave out a loan 
based on an illusory contract. The player was all too happy to get the loan, showing a contract that was meaningless with non-guaranteed salaries. This is what happens in football. How to change it. Okay, a couple different things. I think change has to come from the collective agent, which is the union, of course, as also the individual agent. On the individual side, you need the stars to really push the envelope to say, no, I don't want $125 million. Give me X. Give me $115 million and guarantee it. Of course, the team would say no. But you're just trying to push the envelope. If you have a Derek Carr, if you have an Aaron Rodgers, if you have a Russell Wilson, a Cam Newton, and you're offered a five-year deal with only three or four guaranteed or a six-year deal, you really, you really need to say to the team, really, you're worried about cutting me in five years when I'm 32 or whatever it is, and push it. Now, the teams don't want to do it for a variety of reasons, precedent, this, this artificial, archaic mechanism of funding future contracts. The answer to that is, of course, all these owners are billionaires. They're making hundreds of millions of dollars. Their asset value is over $3 billion. They can fund the contract. I mean, that, that should not be, this should be a non-starter argument. As to precedent, it's got to happen. It's happened with rookies in the first round. Top 20 or so picks are fully guaranteed. Why can't that transfer to veterans? So the agents have to push it. The players have to push it. The union has to push the agents to push the players to do it. And on the union side, again, collective pay is very important here. We have teams collectively carrying over unused cap room in the area of $300 million. Teams like the 49ers, the Jaguars, the Browns were carrying over about $40 million each last year. Are you kidding me? That is money that could be used. That is money that could go toward guaranteed contracts. That is money that could go towards veterans, go towards new signings, go towards renegotiations with guaranteed money. That is something that's really a crime that no one really talks about. You have these minimum team spending, but they're not enough. They're, they're graded over a four-year period, a four-year bucket, and they're 89%. So basically, that is too long a time, too low a number. Should be in the high 90s and should be annual. That would be the goal, to try to, to force teams to spend. If they're not going to do guaranteed contracts individually, they should do guaranteed contracts collectively to really make a worthwhile system for the NFL. Now, all the arguments, this shows how NFL management, subtly or not so subtly, maybe through people like me, I don't know, has really influenced fans and media about this. All we hear when I bring this up, and I get hundreds of tweetbacks about the differences in the two sports or baseball or other sports, and you constantly hear about, well, they only have 15 players in the NBA, or they have 25 players in the Major League Baseball, and they play a lot more games as if that's the reason, and we even heard this from the union, as if that's the reason why NFL players don't have the same security or strength of contract. A couple answers to that. First of all, on number of games, that is a very simplistic assumption that NFL players sort of just show up for the 16 games. Listen, season length is similar. NFL players go from late July until it could be February. NBA players, maybe their season's a little longer. Baseball, maybe their season's a little longer. Maybe it's six, seven, eight months versus seven months or whatever it is. But the games argument, I mean, yeah, of course they have more games. But to equate salary with games, 
I just don't get that. And in terms of the numbers, listen, I get it. We can all say players are more valuable because there are less of them. I don't know if that's the argument people are making, that somehow NBA athletes are more valuable athletes. But here's the thing. Are we saying that all players in sports with lesser number of players should make more than NFL players? I mean, should Major League Soccer players, I don't know, what do they have, 20, 30 a team? Should they make more than NFL players because they're half as many players in the MLS? Pick another league. Should arena football players make more? Because they play a lot less games, have a lot less. I mean, they play the same number of games, but they have a lot less players. Uh, should and WNBA players make more than NBA? I mean, people are probably listening to this and say, oh, of course not. Well, listen, you're saying, of course not, because those leagues have much smaller revenues. Well, guess who has smaller revenues than the NFL? The NBA, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, of course, MLS. Listen, there's different ways to argue this, but it all comes down to this. NFL players carry the most risk of injury. They work for the league with the greatest asset values by the teams. They work for the league with the greatest overall revenues per year, output gross from the league. They work for the league that has television ratings that dwarf other leagues. They work for the league that is the American sports. It's clear through television ratings, through popularity, despite whatever down, whatever's uh, a hitch in the ratings it had last year with the Trump election. Listen, it's not even close. So I think this argument that less players, less players in other sports, more games in other sports, it's a simplistic argument. It doesn't carry weight when you... What about revenues? Because if revenues don't matter, sure, WN player, WNBA players should make more than NFL players. MLS, sure. NHL, sure. But revenues do matter. And when you have all these revenues, it has to go somewhere. So it's going to the player side or it's going to the owner side. And that's the problem. I'll get back to it again. When you see NFL teams carrying over unused cap room of a couple hundred million dollars a year, you ha- and then, of course, that's added to the next year. So the minimum spending requirements are based on the actual cap, which is much lower than the adjusted cap that has all this new money. It's a vicious cycle. These are some of the issues that NBA versus NBFL contracts have. And listen, again, when you have future guarantees, you have situations like James Harden. He signs this huge extension, biggest contract in the history of team sports, but it's four years added to the two existing years because he can just add it because the two existing years are guaranteed. Now, if it was an NFL contract with the two existing years and four new years, it'd be all rolled into a six-year deal because no NFL player worth his salt or agent would take on new years where all they have is non-guaranteed remaining years. So they want to throw that into the mix. That's, again, another example of how these contracts are weighted differently in other sports. Listen, I'm hearing it. I'm seeing it from so many people. It's almost like, you know, that time of year where people put themselves in my shoes, the sort of I do this all year, business of sports, business of football, And uh, they're coming up with these arguments. But I just want to set the record straight. Okay, other issue. We have the Kirk Cousins uh, franchise tag deadline coming up this week, later this week. Uh, A couple comments on that. Again, I think the narrative is wrong. There's theory out there, there's reality. 
The theory out there is Kirk Cousins has all this leverage. He's going to get this massive contract. Or if he doesn't, he's got these huge franchise tag amounts later on. He's got so much leverage next year, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I think he does a deal. And I think he does a deal that's not going to be as big as people think it's going to be because, once again, NFL management has these weapons. The franchise tag allows the Redskins to treat Cousins not, I say not, as a free agent. They are treating him as a player who have, they have rights to, albeit at $24 million a year, and could to potentially have rights to next year, whether that number is huge or not. So you can argue, well, Cousins should make 24 this year. It's 30-something tag next year. They should make 50, whatever. At some point, here's the choice for Cousins. At some point, that point is this week. Here's the choice. Play this year for $24 million and let the future chips fall where they may. Or number two, take a deal. The deal is not going to be this massive Andrew Luck-like contract that people are talking about. It's just not. The Redskins are not going to negotiate that. They are still, in my view, not sold on him 100% They like him a lot. They really do. And they like dating him. I'm just not sure they want to get married at the level with the diamond ring that he wants rather than the one they want. So they will offer him a lot of guaranteed money. I don't know. Certainly twice as much as the $24 million this year. Maybe into the 50s. Now, that's not the 70s people are talking about, but maybe they do, and I think he takes it. Because, number one, who knows what the future holds? I think he has this preternaturally sweet and kind disposition, and I think he's going to take a deal. Deadline spur action, especially when you're faced with this constant lame duck status, which I don't think he likes. Last year was different. Last year, the Redskins didn't negotiate. There was no deal to take. I think, and I have no inside knowledge on this, I think they're negotiating a little more aggressively this year, but it's not the numbers that people are talking about. So I do think he'll do a deal, uh, and I think that's going to happen. Last thing in the news, you know, I saw Joel Embiid, who's the, you know, trust the process. He tweeted a, a negative towards um, LeVar Ball using the F-bomb, using an expletive. And he, Joel Embiid is a national treasure. I just think he gets it, even though he seems a little immature. He just gets it with social media. He's got a nice following. He's got a sweet disposition as well. The NBA fined him $10,000. Of course, it's a, it's a piddling amount in relative terms. But I think this opens up a can of worms. I really think you're, you're dealing with a slippery slope here. You have a lot of players in all sports tweeting out a lot of things about different people. And they'll go at people, maybe they'll come back at people, maybe they'll have this little tete-a-tete. Now, if it's all about using an F word or using an expletive, yeah, I think that's a little, I mean, those are used on the field or on the court of play all the time. Are they fine for that? This social media Twitter thing is really going to, I think that you talk about the future of sports, I think there's going to be some real issues involved in here. How are we going to deal with it? What are going to be the policies? Now, we only we have these policies now, which are you can't tweet right before, right after, of course, during a game. But I think sort of off the court, off the field, off the baseball diamond, where are we going to go with this? Because I really think you have to look at what's happening with 
life outside of sports. We have talked so much in the past five years about Roger Goodell, the conduct commissioner. Off-field conduct is important. He's going to legislate that. There's a morality police in the NFL. That has been a new thing that has not been the hallmark of other sports, not even the hallmark of the NFL before Commissioner Goodell. But this little find that's sort of in the offseason, Joel Embiid, you know, coming at LeVar Ball, who, by the way, is a godsend for media, I just think we have to watch this because I think this is going to go somewhere. This Twitter policy where you're getting fined for using an F-bomb on Twitter where, again, you use it in the locker room, you use it in games, you use it in practices. Everyone's using it. But to put it on Twitter, there's a policy now, and I want to see that policy. So, again, young lawyers, young business people look for a, sort of looking at new areas in the future of sports where it's going to have some change, where you're going to have some disruption. I would look at social media policies, how we're going to deal with that. Because every Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat now, there's going to be 10 more next year, 20 more in two years. We've got to figure that out. That's a look ahead on the business of sports. I'll be back next week. So you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to this podcast on iTunes. Tune in on RossTucker.com, wherever you hear your podcasts. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.